This Star News Media Podcast is presented by North Chase Family Dentistry. Open evenings, Saturdays, and they probably take your insurance. Visit them on the web at NorthChaseFamilyDentistry.com. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Cape Fear Unearthed, a podcast from Star News Media. I'm your host, Hunter Ingram, and I'm a reporter for the Star News here in Wilmington, North Carolina. When you're not listening to me talk about history on this podcast, you can find my byline on coverage of the local film and television industry and my weekly TV Hunter column over at starnewsonline.com. This week, we're flipping to another chapter in our local history book of persisting legends, historical oddities, and mysterious figures to share two stories from Wilmington during the Revolutionary War, which is a topic we haven't really discussed on this podcast yet. As always, I will share with you the story as it has been passed down through history and told through legend, and then I'll bring in someone from the community with knowledge of our tale to continue the discussion and explore whether or not history can be trusted. So settle in for this episode of Cape Fear Unearthed as we revisit the Rouse Tavern Massacre, the Battle of Moores Creek Bridge, and Wilmington's role in the American Revolution. In the dead of night in the spring of 1781, Thomas Love watched helplessly and silently from the branches of a mulberry tree as British redcoats fatally butchered his brother James with bayonets. The murder was one of at least eight that happened that night in Rouse's Tavern, a massacre that is said to have been so brutal, it drenched the floor in blood. Although much of what happened that night has been filtered through or completely lost to more than 240 years of history, the legend of the massacre is still a fascinating snapshot of the festering tensions between local patriots and loyalists that still persisted well into the war. Major James Love was a patriot who had a knack for pestering the local bands of redcoats, particularly Major James Henry Craig, who commanded over Wilmington after it was seized by the British Army in early 1781. James Love and his co-conspirators would stage distractions and traps for Craig's men, drawing them out of their posts so they could be picked off by the Patriots, waiting silently in the woods. James had made such a name for himself that Craig gave the orders to capture or kill him, and such an opportunity presented itself that spring night, likely in April 1781, when James and his men had stopped into Rouse's Tavern, about eight miles from the heart of Wilmington along what would today be Market Street in Ogden. The tavern, owned by Alexander Rouse, was also known to the community as the Eight Mile House and offered everything from a warm meal to a stiff drink to a cozy bed for the night. James had it on good authority that the tavern had received a fresh supply of brandy the day prior. And so when they arrived, he and his men drank, laughed, and made passes at the few women in the tavern. Meanwhile. Craig was informed of their whereabouts and sent a cavalry of 60 or so men in their direction. At the same time, Thomas had stopped in to find his brother in good spirits, both from the brandy and the company. He joined in on the fun, but he didn't indulge to quite the same degree of revelry. Just after midnight, 
Thomas, who was uninterested in sleeping on the hard floorboards like the rest of the men, made his way outside and climbed a nearby mulberry tree, situating himself between two branches and resting his eyes. Unfortunately for some locals at the time, they were no stranger to making a bed where they could, with many having been replaced by the redcoats, who seized their homes and their beds for their own. A few hours after dozing off, Thomas was awakened by the trampling of hooves and the incoming sound of a stampede of horses. Craig's men had arrived, and with them came an order to give the men inside Rouse's tavern, especially James Love, no quarter. It didn't take long for James to spring from his drunken slumber and into action. Before the British could even pry open the door, the legend says that he came bursting through it, his saddle strapped to one arm like a shield, and his saber slicing wildly as an offensive attack in the other hand. He managed to cut his way through about 30 yards of redcoats, but the enemy was too great in number. As Thomas looked on, his brother was cut down by the men, who then moved inside and butchered the others, some of whom never even awoke in the chaos. A survivor was taken from the carnage, forced to give information on the whereabouts of other patriots, and then executed, despite being told such cooperation would spare his life. A woman and two children were also left alive inside, traumatized by the horrifying sight around them. Craig's army suffered no losses in the assault, but they didn't ride away unscathed. Evidenced by the bloody tracks left in their wake, James Love's final stand had drawn British blood. It was a tragic end to the life of a passionate patriot captain, who was also present for the area's most substantial contribution to the Revolutionary War effort, the Battle of Moores Creek Bridge. The brief skirmish took place five years prior to the Rouse Tavern Massacre, on February 27, 1776. At the time, the war between the colonies and the British crown was not even a year old, and the Declaration of Independence wouldn't even be signed by the Second Continental Congress for another four months. But in early 1776, North Carolina Governor Josiah Martin was already losing control of his colony. Even before the first shots of the war were fired at the Battle of Lexington and Concord in May 1775, North Carolina revolutionaries were already preparing for the inevitability of battle by stockpiling muskets and cannon fodder and growing their local ranks. Martin, however, was not going to simply hand over the colony, so he conceived a plan to squash their rebellion, a plan that would require invading the Lower Cape Fear. To enact his strategy, Martin recruited Highlanders from Scotland who had sworn allegiance to the British crown for the ability to immigrate to the colonies, as well as North Carolina loyalists and several thousand well-armed soldiers that were to be supplied by the British government. In January, he issued a proclamation asking Loyalists to join his effort to subdue the rebels and reaffirm the colony's allegiance to the crown. In return, he offered each person who enlisted 200 acres of land and a tax exemption for 20 years if they were successful. He also promoted Donald MacDonald to Brigadier General of his army and Donald McLeod to Lieutenant Colonel. Despite Martin's forethought, the Patriots had already caught wind of his plan, 
and seize the intel as an opportunity to cut his army off before they could permeate the region. Moore's Creek Bridge stretched across a tributary of the Black River, about 20 miles northeast of Wilmington. And it was there that the Patriots decided to strike their blow. In the days leading up to the confrontation, Colonel Alexander Lillington and his militiamen, among which James Love is said to have served, joined up with those of Colonel Richard Caswell to prepare the site for battle. They weren't going to make it an easy crossing for the Loyalists, if they could cross it at all. They removed the boards of the bridge and greased up what structure remained as MacDonald and MacLeod's men closed in. The Loyalists attacked before dawn on February 27th, but the effort was fraught from the start. As the tune of bagpipes scored the quick battle, the Highlanders made the first attempt to cross over, but they were met with musket fire. MacLeod, along with some 40 other men, were killed in a matter of minutes by the Patriots. MacDonald had stayed behind at the Loyalist encampment due to illness and was later captured. The Battle of Moores Creek Bridge lasted just under 15 minutes, but it signaled an early change in the tide of war. Local historian Chris E. Fonville Jr. notes that the victory of the Patriots emboldened North Carolinians to rally behind the movement for independence. It also consolidated control of the Cape Fear for the Patriots, control that would prevent British operations in the South for three years. The battle's influence over North Carolina's action in the growing revolutionary movement and the lower Cape Fear's active role in it is only further evidenced by Wilmington's own Cornelius Harnett being elected chair of the committee that drafted and passed the Halifax Resolves. The Resolves reinforced the state's commitment to independence, and as Fonville notes, were the first official statement by any colony on the matter. Today in Pender County, tourists and history fans can visit the Moores Creek National Battlefield, one of only two in the state of North Carolina. Wilmington and the Cape Fear region are so closely tied to the history of the Civil War that it often overshadows the role the region played in the war that would give birth to America. Whether it was on that foggy winter morning in 1776 on the banks of Moores Creek or in the dark stillness of a night interrupted at Rouse's Tavern, ingrained in these two events and by extension, the Cape Fear's history are two important tenets of the revolution, victory and sacrifice. Joining me now is Chris E. Fonville, Jr., Professor Emeritus in the History Department at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. If you remember, Chris joined us last season for our episodes on Samuel Jocelyn and the Fanny and the Jenny. Thank you so much for coming back, Chris. Hunter, thank you very much for inviting me to return. Uh, So you're currently working on a book that is about the Battle of Moores Creek Bridge, and I absolutely want to pick your brain on that. But first, I want to go back to the first story that I told our listeners this week about the Rouses Tavern Massacre. Um, historical records on that are, are, are light in terms of actual details. What do we know about that incident for sure? Do we even know where the tavern was? We know very few details about the massacre at Rouses Tavern. 
The earliest source comes from an 1845 Wilmington Chronicle article uh, written by an anonymous person who allegedly was at the site of the tavern when he encountered a Colonel Dodd who told him about the massacre at Rouse's Tavern. Now, in 1811, of course, that incident would have only been about 30 years old, and there most certainly would have been people still living who had a public memory of the incident. Mm -hmm. So I don't doubt that the incident occurred. Unfortunately, we just don't have details about it. Yeah. And and from, you know, I think spun off of that story is some of the research I found. People started piecing together that that might have been James Love's brother, uh, Thomas Love. But even in books that I, other books that I found, the writers mentioned Thomas as possibly being the same person as James um, from the records of the Battle of Morse Creek Bridge, which he involved in. So it's, there's a lot of uh, overtime blending of you know, elements of, of historical record, I think. As is the case with a lot of um, stories from the past. Mm-hmm. John McKeechee from NC State edited Cape Fear Sketches mm-hmm. and mentions Rouse's mm-hmm. Tavern, as you know. He suggests that uh, Thomas, who allegedly witnessed the massacre at Rouse's Tavern from the limbs of a mulberry tree close by, might have even been a fictional character. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we simply don't know. James Love would have been high on the list, hit list for <laughs> Craig, as was Cornelius Harnett and John mm-hmm. Ash and William Hooper. Do we know what happened to Rouse's Tavern after the massacre? I can't imagine that a massacre was good for business. Well, I, you know, maybe all publicity is good publicity. Well, that's true. I guess people <laughs> did find out about it if they didn't know it was there. Right, right. Uh, we don't know. I mean, we don't know the location. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the tavern was no longer there in 1811 mm-hmm. when this anonymous uh, writer of the article in the Wilmington Chronicle arrived in what he called a sandy wasteland and uh, found refuge under this, he called it an ancient mulberry mm-hmm. tree. And then he said suddenly this uh, man who identified them, himself as Colonel Dodd showed up and said, uh, do you realize the importance of this site? And the writer said, I, I have no idea. And uh, Dodd then proceeded to tell him the story of the massacre at Rouse's Tavern. It's one of those things, I guess, that's lost to uh, The mists of time. The mists of time. You know, one thing we did talk about and one thing I did encounter was the the Daughters of the American Revolution allegedly put a sign out there that marked the spot, but it it was eventually uprooted or, or... Someone moved it or it was destroyed or something. Uh, so we don't, you know, we don't have that marker anymore. That's something that we need to explore. But allegedly, yeah, um, the DAR erected a sign in the proximity of Rouse's Tavern. And when they widened and improved uh, Highway 17, uh, the sign was removed and never put back up. Um, and But I don't know that story. I, I yeah. don't know what happened to it. Yeah. I'd but love to know. Worth just, pursuing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So let's let's transition to the Battle of Moores Creek Bridge. You are working on a book about it. What was it about this battle that uh, intrigued you to, to go long and write a book? Well, being a native Wilmingtonian, um, I visited the park with my family um, and a girlfriend or two <laughs> over the years. Um, I've always been intrigued by uh, the military history of the Lower Cape Fear. As you know, most of my work has been on the Civil War uh, in the Wilmington area. 
I kind of fell into this uh, this Morris Creek project quite uh, by happenstance. Um, I knew enough about the Battle of Morris Creek Bridge to be dangerous <laughs> and then was invited to uh, Kinston to give a presentation on it to the Lenore County Historical Society. And about two weeks later, I guess the presentation went well because about two weeks later I got a letter from the uh, Society of the Cincinnati uh, in North Carolina uh, that said, uh, congratulations, we've uh, designated you the George Washington Distinguished Professor of History and here's a down payment of a stipend uh, to uh, finance the research and writing of your book on the Battle of Morris Creek Bridge. And I'm like, what book on the Battle of Morris Creek Bridge? <laughs> Clearly they wanted more. Right. So I'm writing uh, a book on the Morris Creek uh, engagement and uh, it's been a steep learning curve because I didn't know that much about the Revolutionary War and um, But what I've discovered is really intriguing. When the U.S. War Department first took control of it, now it's under the auspices of the Department of the Interior and the National Park Service. Mm-hmm. But initially, the control went to the United States War Department. And in 1925, they designated the Battle of Morris Creek Bridge one of the 25 most important battles in American history, and, which just floored me because – how many people outside of southeastern North Carolina have even heard of the Battle of Morris Creek? Bridge? Or know there's even a na- national battlefield in Pender <laughs> County and for it. And that's the key. It is a national battlefield. Mm-hmm. It's not a state historic site. Mm-hmm. It is a national battlefield. And of course, what the battle led to was the passage of the Halifax Resolves by the North Carolina Provincial Congress six weeks after the battle. This would be April 12, 1776. The Halifax Resolves um, – which was passed by the uh, Colonial Provincial Congress in Halifax, North Carolina, uh, instructed the delegates from North Carolina who would be attending the Continental Congress in Philadelphia that summer Mm -hmm. to vote in favor of independence. And we were the first colony to put in writing our support for the independence movement. Now, Mm -hmm. Virginia, Massachusetts, uh, had already expressed verbal commitment to independence, but we were the first colony to put it in writing. And that's why April 12, 1776 is on our state flag. That's why when you go to the DMV, you have a choice of one of two license plates, first in flight or first in freedom. This battle had an actual impact that people can still see today because the, it led to that date that is everywhere now. It's it's an important date for North Carolina. You can see it every day on our state flag. Yeah. The flies from every flagpole in front of you know every state building. Absolutely fascinating. So tell me a little bit. You know, I know that this was in Pender County, but why, or what is now Pender County, but why that specific site? What was it about that area? You know, and as I mentioned in our story, you know they were they were coming. They they were going to basically invade the Lower Cape Fear to kind of squash any type of rebellion that was going to happen. But why was it this spot that the Patriots found, I guess, the most opportunity to, you know, thwart that invasion? Okay. Well, the battle was, in effect, a civil war battle. Little c, little w, Mm -hmm. because it pitted Americans against Americans, American patriots against American loyalists, Mm -hmm. sometimes called Tories. Mm -hmm. The loyalists army that comprised about 1,600 men in the area of Cross Creek in Campbellton, or what is today Fayetteville, uh, had been raised by uh, General Donald McDonald uh, under the um, instructions of the last royal governor of North Carolina, 
Josiah Martin, mm-hmm. who had taken refuge, as you know, at Fort Johnston and then on board the, uh, the warship cruiser at the mouth of the Cape Fear River. And he had proposed what essentially became the first major campaign in North America, a southern campaign of 1776. And what Martin proposed was that if the crown would send him 10,000 regular British forces, arms and ammunition, enough to supply loyalists and regulators and maybe even enslaved African-Americans that he might grant freedom to, then he would, with that combined army, invade North Carolina by way of the Cape Fear River, which runs far into the colony. Mm -hmm. And after subduing or, in effect, regaining control of his lost colony, they would then go south into South Carolina and then north into Virginia. So he was proposing launching a southern campaign in 1776, and the crown approved it, which is really fascinating. So uh, Martin put out the call for loyalists, and he bragged to the crown that he could get upwards to 30,000 men. That was a gross exaggeration. But eventually, again, under General Donald McDonald, they were able to get about 1,600. And the idea was that the loyalists would uh, advance from uh, Cross Creek, Campbellton, down the Cape Fear River to meet British forces coming in by sea from Ireland and from New England. They were to arrive uh, in mid-February. So there were only a few regular British Army officers with the group of loyalists that left Cross Creek. So there were about 950, maybe 1,000 patriots at Morse Creek. So this was Elizabeth Moore, a a widow of Dennis Moore out of Craven County, Mm -hmm. already dead by 1756. But the creek that is a tributary of the Black River, which is a tributary of the Cape Fear River, owned that property there. And it was the only crossing along that creek, which is narrow but unfordable. It's deep. It's an inky, black, sluggish river but it's unfordable. So that was the only site where uh, either army could cross. And it's kind of a cat and mouse game. The, the Patriots were trying to figure out where the uh, Loyalist army was going to go. And ultimately, they determined that they could only cross at Morris Creek. This, this, this battle basically is, is still marked by a national battlefield. Mm-hmm. But what is left of what would have been there. I imagine the bridge isn't there anymore. Uh, in fact, underwater archaeologists have never found any evidence of an 18th century bridge there. There was evidence of what was called the old Fayetteville Road, the old Fayetteville Stage Road that ran through the site. Earthworks were reconstructed uh, at the site. Uh, they were reconstructed in the 1930s. But there were archaeological surveys done between 1937 and 1975, and archaeologists never found a single artifact associated with the battle. Now, public memory had designated that site as the battle site, and beginning in 1857, they held commemorations there. They were spotty until 1899, and then they were done annually. So public memory had the site there. But there was no archaeological evidence to support that. And I started to argue that if there are no artifacts here, this is not where the battle was fought. And if it wasn't fought here, where was it fought and how would it change the understanding of 
uh, of the battle, our understanding of the battle. Even in name. If it wasn't uh, yeah. at that bridge, then it can't right. be called the Battle of Moore's Creek Bridge. Might have been fought at a different creek. Exactly. So in December of 2012, uh, the park had a compliance project that required an archaeological survey to be done. And the National Park Service sent two archaeologists up from Tallahassee, Florida, and about a dozen of us volunteered to help using metal detectors. Mm -hmm. And within 10 minutes, we found a 1767 British half penny. Then we started finding musket balls uh, and other artifacts. I found a great brass button that had the profiles of King George and Queen Charlotte and said along the rim, uh, George and Charlotte, which would have been a commemorative button from their 1761 wedding ceremony. Wow. That was a great piece. Well, the point is wear that, into battle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who was wearing that? So a commemorative piece that would have got, been gotten in London but ends up in southeastern North Carolina. Well, the point is that over the weekend, we were able to prove that public memory had it right. That is where the battle took place. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to this area to have a significant battle like this in the American Revolution? It's something that not, not obviously not every area is going to be able to claim, but we have this, and not a lot of people know about it. I mean, I imagine that it's, it's significant to have this in your area. We have very few um, Revolutionary War battle sites in North Carolina because, of course, the war after 1776 didn't come here. As you know, the Loyalists were defeated at the battle, mm-hmm. so they were unable to join up with British forces that straggled in from March until May of 1776. And so the southern campaign that was to be launched in the Lower Cape Fear was aborted because of the Loyalists licking at the Battle of Morris Creek Bridge. And so they sailed southward to attack Charlestown, South Carolina instead, and were defeated there. So the 1776 southern campaign ended in British defeat. They would return in late 1779, capture Wilmington in January of 1781. So for more than almost five years, there was very little military activity other than fighting between American loyalists and American patriots. So we actually have very few American Revolutionary War sites in North Carolina. So it, it, uh, it means a great deal to, to us in terms of um, uh, visibility, awareness, and historical significance, and tourism, heritage tourism. Exactly. But also, we have so few, if, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we have so few because of what happened at the Battle of Moore's Creek Bridge, because they were able to keep British forces out of the South for several years. A- absolutely. Um, had the Loyalists um, joined forces with the British regulars that, that came in during the late winter and spring of 1776, Martin's plan would have unfolded uh, as proposed. You're right. The Patriot victory at the Battle of Moore's Creek Bridge ended all of that. Well, there you have it, folks. An unknown chapter of the Revolutionary War, to be honest. I don't. I, I did not know much about the Battle of Moores Creek Bridge. I, I didn't even know we had a national battlefield in this area until I started looking into this. And you know, we focus so much on the Civil War here in our area because of because of me, because of you, <laughs> because of the importance of the port. But you know, it, it we had a footprint in the Revolutionary War and, and one that was very important. Uh, so thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciate you being here talking to me about well, thank this. Thank you. Stay tuned. The book is called The Day Was Our Own, uh, The Battle of Moore's Creek Bridge in History and Memory. Absolutely. I can't wait to read it. Thank you so much. 
That's it for this week's episode of Cape Fear Unearthed and the region's role in the Revolutionary War. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll be back next Thursday with a new episode where we will explore another tale from the history books. Until then, be sure to share your thoughts on this week's episode on Twitter with the hashtag CFUnearthed. Or you can email us your thoughts at capefearunearthed at gmail.com. You should also be a member of our Facebook group, where listeners can ask questions about our episodes and share their thoughts on the region's history. In that group, I'm also always posting extra content, like pictures pertaining to each week's episode and more as the season progresses. You can find that group by searching Cape Fear Unearthed on Facebook. Finally, you can get a list of all the books, articles, and resources used in researching this podcast in the show notes of each episode. I would also encourage all of you to go visit the Moores Creek National Battlefield in Pender County. It should be open right now, unless there is another government shutdown. Cape Fear on Earth was written, edited, and hosted by me, Hunter Ingram. You can find more of my work at starnewsonline.com. Additional editing is done by Adam Fish, and this episode was recorded at WHQR Studios in downtown Wilmington, which has been nice enough to host us this season. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review, which will help more people find Cape Fear on Earth. Until next week, get out and explore the Cape Fear region on your own. What you learn might just surprise you.